All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 196 of the DFO Rundown. Get your news here. Get your news here. Got my uh, newspaper boy hat on, ready to roll. There's uh, lots going on. We're eight days away from the uh, NHL trade deadline. Frank, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, it makes me slightly nervous. Like, hurry up and listen before everything changes. That's the one thing about doing a pod this time of year is you got to get it up and you got to get it out quick. So before we get rolling with some uh, news and, and dive into our latest trade targets list, I need to let you know that episode 196 of the DFO Rundown is presented by Athletic Brewing. Just because Dry Jan is in the rearview mirror doesn't mean you can't keep the good times rolling. Join me and enjoy Athletic Brewing's award-winning lineup of craft, non-alcoholic, beers trust me these brews don't lack anything and more importantly they don't come with the hangover use promo code frank20 for 20 percent off your first purchase at athleticbrewing.ca until february 28th athletic brewing company fit for all face-offs fit for all times and uh, you have the new uh, trade bait board up, and uh, I, it's interesting, some new names we're going to get to, but uh, also really uh, because of the uh, crazy race in the Eastern Conference for the wild card, heck, Detroit's in it. Um, Buffalo, uh, even the Ottawa Senators, I don't know if they're in yet, but they're on the fringes because of all the games in hand. Uh, the Islanders had a huge win last night against uh, Winnipeg. A big win against the Jets, but uh, Dmitry Orloff appears new on the board in the top 10, Frank. And, and honestly, for me, excluding Eric Carlson, I would say Orloff would be the best defenseman available if somebody wants to acquire him. 
Yeah, and that's exactly why he rockets all the way up to number six is because um, if he were to become available, which I believe the Washington Capitals are in the process of evaluating what that market will look like. I don't think it's a 100% guarantee that Orloff moves. I don't even think it's close to that. Um, the big hangup for the Caps is if they trade Dmitry Orlov and he somehow doesn't make his way back to Washington, how do they fill out their team and be competitive next season? It's, it's one thing to have uh, John Carlson come back, the only defenseman that you have that's under contract. And sure, you're going to have a couple of your RFAs that are out there as well. But that, the last thing you want to do is become the Anaheim Ducks, where you are icing a lineup next year with three bona fide NHL defensemen. That's not a position you want to be in, and not if you want to be a contending team or, or at least a competitive team while Alex Ovechkin chases Wayne Gretzky's goal record. So the thing is, you know, on the other hand, you've got a guy in Orlov that I think is better than Gavrikov. Um, he, yeah. I think he handles pressure better. I think he moves the puck better. I think he's more mobile. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I think a lot of teams would like Dmitry Orlov over Gavrikov. And if you think that the ask for and the return for Gavrikov is going to be a first, a third, and a fourth, or somewhere even close to that neighborhood, if you're Brian McClellan, the Caps GM, you'd have to consider that. So uh, Orlov makes the list, and, and he's definitely the Washington Capitals' most valuable prize when it comes to this deadline. Now, when you look through your, your new trade targets board, there's like 17 new names. So now obviously there's 50. I don't know if all 50 will get dealt, of course, but there's guys moving up and down. Um, there's one player who I think has been a disappointment and it probably would be difficult to move, but uh, Joel Farabee found himself in the fourth line and might've found himself as a healthy scratch in Edmonton. If Konechny didn't get hurt in Calgary. Um, you know, this was a player, Frank, that everybody in Philly was really high on when they signed him. What's gone wrong with this season is it is about needing a new start or are him and the coach just not on the same page? So here's the thing. I think the Flyers could move Joel Farabee in the blink of an eye. He's 22. Uh, there's no issue in moving him. The reason he's so far down on the list is that I'd be surprised if something materializes this quickly. And more to the point, why would you do it before the trade deadline when you could have a whole different type of conversation in the summer? So the root of the issue with Joel Farabee, as you mentioned, he played 352 in Calgary. That stood out like a sore thumb. And what I would say is there's been some displeasure that's been voiced from the Farabee camp to the Flyers about the way that this season has unfolded under John Tortorella. And they're looking for answers. They'd like to see the path forward here of how this might change. And I think what's abundantly clear is John Tortorella is not going anywhere. He's the guy that the Flyers have putting his name on a statement going out a couple weeks ago that really, for the first time ever, has signaled that the Flyers are going to rebuild. So the Flyers probably are not in a position to trade Joel Farabee at his absolute lowest um, because this is a guy that I thought, and we've talked about this before with the contract that he signed, we were talking about him, you know, instantly jumping into being a 50-point player after, you know, a 38-point season uh, as, a, as a 19 or 20-year-old. So he has talent. He's already hit 20 goals. But if he's in a spot where he's playing fourth-line minutes 
and doesn't really have a path forward. I would say that this wasn't a trade request, but it is certainly the, the next thing to come if things don't improve is a trade request. All right. That's an interesting name. Um, there are some other guys that, um, you know, Kasperi Kapanen in, uh, in Pittsburgh uh, and also Kerfoot. Uh, give me your thoughts on both of those. Okay, so I'll start with Kapanen. And look, it's no secret that he's sort of been the odd man out in Pittsburgh. He has one extra year on his deal at $3.2 million. And the Penguins are trying to create salary cap flexibility, and it's not just for any potential trades that they'd like to make. They actually don't have the ability, if I'm reading cap friendly correctly, to activate Jan Ruda without doing something. So they could waive some guys, or I think they could uh, trade Kasperi Kapanen. I'm told from teams around the league that GM Ron Hextall sent out a note uh, within the last few days advising teams of Kapanen's availability. I think they're uh, actively uh, pursuing that. And this is a trade that could actually happen in very short order. Speaking of things that might change, this is one of those trades that could happen today or tomorrow uh, if the right thing unfolds and, and the Penguins get what they're looking for. So Kasperi Kapanen's name was on our trade targets board previously. Uh, signed that two-year, $6.4 million contract in the summer, and people were like, why? It seemed like things were heading in the wrong direction last year, and the Penguins sort of doubled down and not just gave him one year, but gave him two. And it's kind of the odd thing about Kapanen is if you look at his year this year, Jason, he still has 20 points and is probably going to end up scoring, you know, in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 again. This is not... They're not empty calories, but he's not exactly helping you win either. No, not at all. Um, the Minnesota Wild are an interesting. By the way, team. I didn't I didn't answer on Kerfoot. So oh, yeah, yeah. Not Kerfoot. to not to keep uh, talking, but the Leafs are interesting. Like, if they want to make a move for a defenseman and they still want to activate Matt Murray before the season is over, I think Alex Kerfoot is the odd man out. Some people say it might be Pierre Engvall, and that's a possibility as well. I think the Leafs like the flexibility that Kerfoot provides, but he also probably has more value than Engvall. So um, if they want to make a move, which I believe they do, someone from their roster is likely going to have to go. And Kyle Dubas mentioned after the O'Reilly trade, his reticence to pluck someone off the roster, but Kerfoot stands out to me. So if someone's going, I think it's him. Some people have said, Oh, well, what about Justin Hall? I don't know how you strengthen your decor while also taking someone out of the mix. So that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for me. You know, Hall, someone that has some size, is a decent enough skater. Um, they could get something for him, but I just don't know that that, you know, you're, you're pu- pushing and pulling at the same time, and I don't know that that makes sense. Yeah, Kerfoot's a 3.5 cap at Engvall's 2.25. So depending on, you know, which team they're looking at, and very different players as far as what they bring. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, that Kerfoot's probably a more consistent player for sure, hence uh, the higher cap hit and a little bit more uh, offensively creative in my eyes. Another team that's interesting, they they took on uh, Ryan O'Reilly as a third party. It really only cost them like 75 grand in cash, and they, they have a boatload of cap space. Um, despite having all the dead cap space, or the Minnesota Wild. And Matt Dumba's been on the trade targets board for a long time. 
But uh, Jordan Greenway pops up, Frank, and he's got two years remaining at $3 million. It's not a crazy cap hit by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he's he's a big body. He's, he's physical. He can skate. He can be a little inconsistent at times, like a lot of guys around the league. But how much interest do you think there is in Greenway? I, I think teams are intrigued because not only is he a big body but at 6'6", but is someone that also plays hard. Um, he certainly has an edge to him. I think this year has been disappointing in so many ways. It's not just the two goals and, and six points, but it's some other stuff like the fact that he overslept one day and really put the wild in a tough spot when they were playing a back-to-back and already down guys that I think rubbed people the wrong way. Um, he, he's a good guy and someone that I think a lot of teams are, um, are intrigued about. The question is, here's the thing not I shouldn't say question is the thing for the wild is this isn't about creating flexibility for this year. That's the buzzword of today's show is flexibility. The, the wild don't need cap space. They have $12 million on deadline day that they can spend on cap hits for this year. However, they cannot go out and add a player for next season without moving out someone that has some term. And so Greenway with two more years at 3 million is one avenue to do that. I don't think he's a lock to trade because the the Wild, again, like Farabee, this is a guy that was scoring double-digit goals and ending up somewhere around 30 points every year with that size. He, you'd be selling at your absolute lowest. And so that's something that the Wild have to consider, but they may value more that ability to get freedom off of the next two years to then maybe even add someone at this deadline that has some term. Yeah, he's an interesting player for me. And, you know, speaking of uh, power forwards, you know, Tanner Janot had an unreal rookie season last year. Um, Now, I do know that uh, him and the Predators – um, no, there was an offer for a long-term extension before the season began. And, um, you know, Janos camp, uh, just were like, ah, we're not ready yet. And you know, who knows if there's a, there's a signing remorse potentially or not, but you know, the Preds, David Poyle said it, Frank, he was pretty honest a while back that, you know, they're not going to be adding, they might be subtracting Ryan Johansson. They announced he's out 12 weeks, basically the rest of the season, you know, Janos is a player they really like in Nashville. And I got, I guess it would all depend on what the return is. Uh, for a guy like that, because right now you're probably going to get him at a lot less of a cap hit next year. Although he does have arbitration rights, Frank, and I wonder how much that would impact any deal. Well, it's, it's going to, and that's, that's really also the reason why Nashville would consider moving off of him is before we have to pay him, let's see if someone else is willing to, and that makes your team weaker, I think in the long term. Yep. But if you teams are calling, there's no doubt, and asking about Janot's availability, I don't think the Preds are seeking to trade him or, or really want to, but I think you have to consider all the different avenues that come your way, and Janot is, is certainly one of those for a team that doesn't – they don't have a lot of tradable assets. Um, they don't have a lot of players that teams are, are frothing at the mouth to get. Eckholm is one that has, I would call, mild interest, and it's because of those three years at 6.25 that yeah. the Preds would have to really, you know, change their uh, – not change their thought process, but be realistic in their thought process of what they can get in return for him. 
because the last thing you want to do is is be in a spot where you're Nashville and you say I I, I can't get anything for Matias Ekholm now and we need to pay to move him. If you can avoid that at all costs, you do it. I think Granlin has a ton of interest or would. It's those extra two years that you know I think would make this not a deadline move, but a, a an off season move. Teams teams would like Nino Niederreiter as well, but after that, you kind of you get into a spot where it's like Geno, and that's kind of it. You know, no one's trading for Forsberg or Duchesne. Johansson's out now. You know, Ryan McDonough. You're not trading for that contract. It, it's Nashville has to get creative here to really shake things up. Lankanen in goal, Frank. I was talking to some goalie guys, and they say, don't sleep on him as a Saros. They've played a ton, but Lankanen, when he's played, has played quite well. And I wonder if a team, you know, if you're looking to get a a, a goaltender, some help, and there's lots of teams out there that could use it. Uh, They say Lankanen might be very cheap acquisition. I didn't realize realize how good his season was. 919. He's only played 13 games because Saros is such a workhorse. But the other name that's new on our, our board is. Um, on the goalie front is Jonas Corpusallo. Not really a shock, also a pending unrestricted free agent and a really cheap cap hit. But it seems like Corpusallo, after those injuries, has really found himself again and on a really bad Columbus team, 26 games played, 9-13. I would think he's the premier sort of rental goalie available. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out and, you know, James Reimer is another one out there. I just think if you had the opportunity to get someone in Corpus Allo or Lankin and who are playing so much better, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, no, that's fair. One other team and one other player who slides into your list, very at the bottom, and I understand why, because of the, the position of the team that today, based on points, is in a playoff spot. But if you went on points percentage, they would be uh, in in 10th spot in the Eastern Conference, and that's the uh, Florida Panthers who have played 60 games. Pittsburgh and Detroit have uh, four fewer games, Buffalo five, and they're, they're all within uh, four points of the Panthers. I look at the Panthers' schedule. They play Buffalo on Friday. That's a huge game. Then they have the weekend off. They play Tampa on Tuesday, and then they play next um, against Nashville on the uh, Thursday. So they only have three games before the deadline, so the other teams will will make up a little bit of ground. Radko Gudis, if the Panthers next Friday morning wake up, Frank, and they're out of of the wild card spot, let's say by two or three points, and the teams ahead of them still have two or three games in hand, do you think they would pull the trigger on a Radko Gudis deal on Friday? Depends what's thrown their way. That's how I think they're going to approach it. It depends on the spot they're in and and what they could get in return. Because I think you mentioned Gudis and the physical aspect that he brings. He's also sort of an ideal third-pair guy. Like, he, he doesn't really get rattled all that much. Uh, seems to handle the forecheck pretty well. You know, he, he's not going to move the needle for you in, a, in any sort of, you know, way at the other end of the ice. He's sort of in his own end and and then get off the ice and that's fine. Sometimes that's all you need, but the cap hit is reasonable at two five. I think teams have been calling, but the answer to this point from the Panthers has been, let's see where we are. We're trying to make a push to get in and I don't think they want to move him, but may have to consider it. And the other guy from the Panthers that did make the board as well as Colin white, a similar type situation, but I think there's been some interest there and I think teams um, feel like he's more available than than Gudis is, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, the thing about Gudis that he brings is he brings a physical, nasty element. There's just not a lot of guys that are third pair D men around the league that do. And I think come playoff time, Frank, we've all seen the game gets the game gets more physical. It gets grittier. And guys that are comfortable in that, that can have an advantage. And you you know, you look at his minutes, he's exactly as you described. He's a third pairing guy. Right? And he kills penalties. He, so that's, he's a disruptor, is what he is. And yes. he's also He's one of the very few players in the league that actually makes you nervous if you're a forward. Because <laughs> if you get blown up by Radko Gudis at the blue line or in the neutral zone, it's going to hurt. And so team, players know when he's on the ice because if he catches you, it's, you know, you could be out. And that's, that's a real thing, the ability to make players nervous. Now, the one team, because they have – there has been no – Glitch, no short string of struggles all season long. The Boston Bruins have just been an absolute tank all year. You have two Bruins now, new on the list. And and I understand that Boston people could say, well, don't make any moves. I understand it. But as we've outlined before in the past, Detroit in 06, Tampa in 19, just because Florida last year, just because you're the best team in the regular season doesn't guarantee you even get out of the first round. Right. So, and all those teams had like 122 plus points, for goodness sake. So, I look at the Bruins and I wonder, you know, does their management team look and say, hey, we can still upgrade? You know, we've got a great run here. We don't want to waste it. And I'm not sure with all their veterans, Frank, I don't really buy that if you made one trade that it would upset your room. You know, you obviously you don't want to bring in a disruptor of a, of a person, but with Bergeron and, you know, the rest of those guys there, I, just, I sense that there's a lot of strong leadership in that group. I, I don't think if they brought in one player and let's say they moved out, uh, you know, as you have Craig Smith potentially or, uh, or Mike Riley, that that's automatically going to upset chemistry. I don't buy it, but I'm curious – if they make a move, do you think they're looking like Gavrikov's name we keep hearing for Boston? Is that what you're hearing, or do you think they would look at a forward? Well, Mike Riley's definitely not going to upset the chemistry. He's playing in Providence. He's he's had 25 games there, and he's a buried cap hit, which is really the significance of both Craig Smith and Riley on, on the list is Boston has no cap space. The only way to really create it is to trade someone away and you can't wave your way out of this. Their, their roster is already at uh, basically the thinnest it could be. They've got one extra body on defense. Um, so Riley has 1.875 buried and Smith is on the roster at 3.1. The complicating factor with Riley is that he has one extra year. So while the Bruins would much prefer to move Riley, he's the more difficult of the two Craig Smith at 33 years old, one, 3.1 million. He's just a great guy. Everyone respects him and likes him, was a really consistent 20-goal scorer in this league for a long time. At age 33, he just doesn't have the juice left. He's got 10 points in 42 games. That's the guy that I think is going to end up being the odd man out on a really good team. Um, that they move in order to try and bring in Gavrikov. And I do think that they have a deal or the framework of a deal in place, but it's pending getting this part of it done to create the flexibility to get Gavrikov. As we are, we're recording this on Thursday morning. Um, you know, it's just over a week away. You know, we, we've seen Toronto and the Rangers make their deals. Uh, and the Islanders, of course, on Bull Horvat. Uh, 
there's been no movement. Do you expect it to be quiet this weekend, or do you think that some teams are now going to try to get the jump and say, okay, we're down to the final week? Historically, there's always, you know, lots of moves in the last day. I understand that. And, you know, we've been talking about LTIR space and the fact that most teams are in it, so it doesn't matter when you get, you know, to make the deal, whether it's you're not accruing any cap space is my point if you wait another six days. But what's your sense on um, – the negotiations now, because, you know, some teams say they make their deals early. I get it. Those three, but the vast majority don't. And I was looking historically, like there's the odd year, Frank, where you get a, a few trade, you know, a few trades six days in, but it's really kind of the last two. Uh, I think now's the perfect time to talk about Patrick Kane, because I think that there is the ability for this to materialize quickly. If the right calls are made, um, we saw the report from Larry Brooks on thir- uh, Wednesday night that uh, in the New York Post that the Rangers are, are in on Kane. And we know from Patrick Kane's statement or comments publicly after the Tarasenko trade that he was really interested in New York. So it stands to reason that if the Rangers are still interested and Kane is still interested, that this is a deal that could happen. Here's my understanding of where it is at this exact moment in time. We're taping at 11 a.m. Eastern on Thursday. Is the rain the the Rangers and Blackhawks? I do not believe have spoken to this point, and the Blackhawks through Kane's camp have not been presented with any team and no even indication from the Kane camp yet that they will present a team. But like I said, clearly there's been a lot going on behind the scenes with Kane and the work that he's been doing, making calls, understanding the marketplace, talking to people to get a sense of what a fit might be like and what options are out there. We've talked about Edmonton. We've talked about Vegas. We've talked about Dallas. Um, and now if the Rangers jump into this mix, I could see a world in which Kane, you know, says yes, and then this comes to fruition. Well, you know, Kane to me, I have said this all along, man. I, I, I know people look at the season and maybe there's the hip issues, but that, that game against Toronto, I'm like, Oof. what about the two sw- goals on Wednesday night? Yeah, dude. He's got am- seven in his last four. I, I think I think Kane is just being said, hey, don't don't buy what you're hearing. I'm fine. And I honestly think this has kind of lit a fire on him. I, I think you're going to get a motivated player. You're also getting a player who's been one of the best in the Stanley Cup playoffs in his career. The guy knows when to score big goals. There's no debate on that. And, like, there are certain teams, and I know, like, if I'm Patrick Kane, you want to go somewhere where I, I think he feels the team has a really good chance to win, and there's quite a few of those. But then I also think he wants to go and look and say, like, I want to play with an offensively gifted player. I, 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 that's his choice. Why wouldn't he do it? There's no shortage of those in New York. No, de- definitely New York. Like, New York makes a lot of sense. But Tarasenko and Panarin and, and Zabanajad, uh, the other team on the complete other side of the, of, the, uh, of the continent really is Edmonton. And I still wouldn't rule out the Edmonton orders. Um, if they don't get a D-man, that Patrick Kane, and then you get Patrick Kane. Oh, do you want to play with McDavid or Drysaddle? Which one? And it would be, uh, it would be an interesting uh, scenario to see unfold between those because that would be three of the most dynamic offensive players in the league. Yeah, I think the, there's no question the Oilers have interest in Kane. 
the question is, does Kane have interest in the Oilers? Yeah. And if the Rangers are a team that presents itself as an option, I think that would be his first choice. So the Oilers end up left being at the altar. And the other part of the Oilers and their search here before the deadline is outside of Eric Carlson, I don't think they view any of the defensemen that have been talked about as real difference makers. Agreed. And that has sort of put their quest for a defenseman on hold because of the factors we've talked about, you know, getting in the way of, of Broberg and what do you do with your power play and Tyson Barry and, and all those different complicating factors that they say all of these guys that are out there on the market that we know of aren't worth the headache and the assets. Does Besser for Greenway make sense to you? Everyone has drawn the line from Besser to Minnesota because he's from Minnesota, because his agent's from Minnesota. I get that part of it. I could understand Vancouver's interest in in Greenway, but unless there's some kind of middle ground to make up the difference between three and six, six, five, look, I know the players are different. I don't know. I could see a path, but I think just my read on the situation is that there's been more smoke than fire there, but I don't know. And uh, speaking of the Canucks, before we bring in Tyler Ramchuk, uh, JT Miller, uh, who signed that extension, you know, there was all the talk they were going to move him, and then they ended up signing him an extension, and Frankie pops up on your board again a year later. Wait, is this the ultimate case of buyer's remorse already in Vancouver? I don't know if it's so much buyer's remorse as it is the Canucks are desperate for flexibility on their cap. And they're going to probably get some at the end of the day with, with Besser, but then you still have a ton of money tied up in wingers. And what what is JT Miller? Is he a center or is he a winger? I personally think he's a winger. Some teams see him as a center. Some teams see him as a winger. And the big question is, with JT Miller's no-trade clause kicking in on July 1, do you want to get out ahead of that? And do you think that there's a team out there that says, yeah, we would sign JT Miller to a seven-year deal for $8 bucks? Is there a team out there that would actually pay that price on the open market in a market that if you look ahead to the summer – is not all that sexy. He may be one guy out there that's a difference maker. And I think the Canucks are just, they're intrigued at the idea. First off, they're open to anything, I think. And two, I think there's enough, the reason he ends up on my board is from talking to other teams, there's been enough conversation internally in front offices about JT Miller that I don't think you can clo- totally close the door on the idea that he's traded. Hmm. Yeah, it's will be a tough trade for sure. Um, it has to be has to be a team where they feel he'll fit in better with them. He's got some ability. It would that would be a fascinating. I'm trying to think of a team that signed a guy to an extension that didn't kick in for the next year and then dealt him. Trying to think if it's ever happened. Well, and then think about unraveling the spool and thinking about what impact that might have had on Bo Horvat and how that went down. Like, had yeah. you not signed JT Miller, would you then have re-signed Bo Horvat? 
Yeah, maybe. But here, here's the thing. I remember a few have told me, if you make a mistake or a move that you don't like, to, to just say, wow, geez, I don't want to, I don't want to go off of it because of optics. Then you just swing, you know, then you're just stuck in mud. If they truly believe he's not the guy for them, then bite the bullet, make the move and move forward. And let me tell you this, that is a hallmark of Jim Rutherford's career. When he has made a move that has not worked, he yeah. gets, he moves on. That was the story in Pittsburgh. That was the story in Carolina. He doesn't let it sit there and, and linger or fester. So if he truly believes that Miller was a mistake, and I don't know that, then I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them move on. I just wouldn't want to be in a spot if you're considering it to then wait a year after you give JT Miller more power. If you're going to rip the Band-Aid off, do yes. it now. 100% because then the manila move clause. It makes, uh, it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, one last one before I let go. You mentioned Carolina, Frank. Uh, the Hurricanes, have, they've been the best team in the NHL here for a while. They, they are absolutely rolling. So some would say, well, maybe they don't need to make a move. What do you think Don Waddell does between now and next Friday? So I had Canes owner Tom Dundon on our Frankly Speaking one-on-one -on -one interview series show. You can find it wherever you get your pods. Frankly Speaking, it's called. Episode 5, Tom Dundon. He said, we're leaning towards being more aggressive than ever. And that is a blinking marquee in huge letters, Timo Meyer. That's their guy. That's their target. That's what they're working on. The question is, much in the same way that Edmonton's interested in Patrick Kane and other teams are interested in Patrick Kane, will their bid be the winning bid? Yeah. Because well, New Jersey's you know the one there. advantage they have, Frank. You know, the one exactly. advantage that they'll have is uh, Brent Burns, who uh, when the Sharks went to uh, Carolina a while ago, Burns had a lot of those guys over for dinner, including Timo Meyer. And they, when players talk to players, how's it like? And, um, you know, he, he could also uh, ask Stephen Lorenz, hey, what do you think of uh, Rod Brindamore? And I can tell you, like, Stephen Lorenz raves about Brindamore, as do everybody. That, uh, that have played under the guy. The players, it doesn't matter if you're a first-line player or fourth-line player. They love the guy. And I would think that that would be, that's a huge selling point because you know how it is, Frank. Like, if you have two options and you've got somebody giving you some inside scoop exactly how it is there, that might be enough to sway it. Now, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have the say, of course, so that's obviously the... Uh, yeah, the but he down. does have the say in re-signing that I think yes. would go a long way if that's what the Hurricanes want to do. But I think the Hurricanes, what makes Just this really line. interesting for them is... They can go any number of ways here. And they've been super reluctant to unload their draft capital and their prospects if they feel like it's going to hurt their chances to win. Because Tom Dundon said it on the pod. He goes, we're going to play hockey next year and the year after that and the year after that, and I'm going to want to win those games too. And they've been very reasonable and conservative in their approach that – they also think they've amassed enough picks and prospects that they can afford to let a few of those slide and not really miss out. And the other alternative with Meyer is that it doesn't have to damage your future. If you're putting a 50 goal scorer in your lineup for the next seven years, your future still looks pretty good. So that's the Hurricanes thought process. And, and just wanted to reiterate, you brought up Rod Brindamore. I've never heard an owner talk like this. He said, Rod Brindamore is going to be the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes for the next 20 years if he wants to be here. 
He said, if we don't win, it ain't going to be because of him. He said, it'll be on us for not giving him the players that he needs to win. And I thought that was such a refreshing approach. He said, when he first bought the Canes in 2018, that there were people that said to him, hire a coach and a GM. And if you don't start to win or trend towards the playoffs in three years, change them out, get new ones. And he's like, that seems utterly absurd to me to have that kind of turnover. He's found people that he likes and trusts in Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore, and they aren't going anywhere. And he's got a trusted staff where he really has not just obviously the final input and veto power, but has taken the time to learn and understand how this works. He said, I'm not a hockey guy, but he's obviously a really smart business guy. And if you take the hockey people with some people that have had a lot of business success that have learned the game, all you need to know is to how to ask the proper questions that produce interesting answers and results. And you mentioned draft capital, Frank. Look at the Carolina Hurricanes. And they've been a top five team in the regular season for how many years? They've got actually more picks. They've got, uh, I think it's they got 16 picks um, over the next two years. They, they And, you know, they traded away one third rounder, but they got a third rounder back. They're not missing any of their top picks. Like, compare it to Tampa or Florida or Toronto or Boston. So they could even trade away two or three picks, Frank, and still not be short coming up in the draft. That's the big advantage that Carolina has right now. Well, that and cap space. The reason why they're able to weaponize their cap space and and get Max Patch ready from the Vegas Golden Knights, I know that didn't work out because of his injuries. But they got Brent Burns at 33% off and paid not basically nothing to get him, with yes. all due respect to that, Stephen Lorenz. And and then look at, at Pacioretty. They traded nothing to get him and got a guy who was a point-per-game player in this league. Again, didn't work out, but they've been able to weaponize that because they are willing to say goodbye to players that are asking to be paid not for what they will do, but for what they already did. And mm-hmm. they draw the line better than anyone in this league. And 100%. people have looked at that and said, oh, they're cheap. They're not cheap. They spend to the cap every year. They spend over the cap. It's just that they want to spend money in a smart way, and that's earned them some kind of you know ridiculous reputation when Tom Dundon first took over about being a team that doesn't want to spend. Let's bring in uh, Ty Remchuk on a Thursday morning. Ty, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. Ready to roll with a new edition of Buy or Sell. There's a few different areas I want to hit on with you guys today, but I want to start with an article that our pal Stephen Ellis has up at dailyfaceoff.com. He's talking about some potential under-the-radar additions for teams ahead of the deadline. He has Jonas Corposalo on there, but he also has four forwards listed. They are Jonathan Drouin of the Habs, Taylor Radish of the Blackhawks, Vitaly Kravtsov of the New York Rangers, and Nick Bukestad of the Arizona Coyotes. My question to you, if you were to buy on one of those under-the-radar guys as a contender, which one of those four forwards would you buy on, Jason? Well, they're all very different in, in what they bring. Um, you know, Bukestad's a, a, you know, he's, he's a huge body. He's a right shot. He's not a great face-off guy. He's like 47%. So I know people say, oh, he can take face-offs. Well, yeah, he can take face-offs. I want a guy who wins face-offs. But um, he kills penalties. You know, he's had a really good year, five-on-five scoring. So And he's dirt cheap. So Bukestad, to me, would probably be one based on 
what he could give. Uh, Kratsov to me is more of a, if you're acquiring him, it's because you're looking to the future. You're not looking necessarily for him to help you in the playoffs. So I think that could be an out of the playoff team that looks for that to say, okay, we'll give you this guy. Instead of giving us a pick, give us Kratsov. So I, I'd still, I'll go with the, with the, with the big man because he's the cheapest. And, uh, you know, most of the top teams aren't looking for a top six four. Zero chance I would take a flyer on Nick Bukestad. The Minnesota Wild healthy scratched him for all six playoff games last year. That tells me all I need to know about what they think about his ability to make an impact when it matters most. My guy would be Taylor Radish, 14 goals already this season. He's only 25. He signed next season. Uh, I think for a cheap 758000 technically actually under the league minimum as a cap hit next season because of when he signed his deal, I don't think you can do much better than Radish uh, to anchor you know, on your fourth line. The thing about Bukestad, um, from year-to-year playoffs, it's, it's so hit or miss for guys. Uh, you're right, he didn't fit what Minnesota wanted. He could easily be better. I've seen lots of guys stink out the joint one year in the playoffs and be very good the next. He didn't play. They didn't dress him. Yeah. They said, you are not worth dressing. Uh, we saw a couple of moves yesterday, including the Arizona Coyotes adding another future Hall of Famer to the mix. Shea Weber joins Pavel Datsuk and Chris Pronger is some of the what goats. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it, it really is quite the Mount Rushmore. I saw Craig Morgan uh, tweet out like the all-time Coyotes starting lineup, and some of the names on there were great. They do need a goalie to round out that roster, though, apparently. Anyways, uh, enough with the jokes. The Vegas Golden Knights, that's interesting. Carey Price. Get Carey Price. Exactly. That's the fit. That's who everyone has circled. Uh, pick up the phone. Anyways, the Vegas Golden Knights opened up some space for potential moves that could linger into the offseason, right? They can add guys with term now, if I'm reading this right. I'm, I say they're going to get active ahead of the deadline and move their first-round pick because they do still have their first-round pick in the upcoming draft. Frank, you buying or selling the Golden Knights moving a first-rounder in the next eight days? But why, why would they hang on to it? We have no indication based on the way they go about business that they would or that they aren't all in. So here's the funny thing about this trade that I don't think a lot of people picked up on is this trade in some odd way actually helps the Arizona Coyotes more than it helps the Vegas Golden Knights. And the reason for that is if you watch where they were with the salary cap and the floor, they could trade Jacob Chikrin at the deadline But if they were to do that without getting Shea Weber's contract, then they couldn't really trade anyone else without taking on more salary. So let's say they wanted to trade, uh, just pull a name out of a hat, Lawson Kraus is on our trade board, or Nick Schmaltz, another guy that has, you know, term and contract. They would technically be below the floor. So what this does is provides them flexibility now, and it also provides them artificial flexibility next year in terms of hitting the floor because Shea Weber's contract dips down to $1 million in real cash for each of the next three years. And they were able to actually do all of that while unloading Dyson Mayo, who also signed a one-year, sorry, one-way three-year deal that paid him almost a million a year. So the actual cash is a wash And they got a third-round pick to do it, whereas they would have had a hard time unloading Mayo, that this was a really nice piece of business by Bill Armstrong. So buying or selling on the Golden Knights? You're buying their trading their first? 100%. All right, Jay. 
Yeah, well, it would be surprising to me if uh, if they didn't. Let's just let's just say that uh, I don't see I don't see how that they're not going to. Especially now, if Mark Stone was healthy, I might not be so sure. But with Mark Stone injured, I think they're going to want to uh, they're going to want to replace him. They're in win now mode, so yes, I think they uh, they have a very good chance of moving. Also, the Arizona Coyotes now up to spending $18.6 million against the cap on injured players with Brian Little, Andrew Ladd, and Shea Weber all there. I know the actual cash is much, much lower than that. but still, And insured, pretty, most of them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty funny to look at that number. Uh, anyways, the other move we saw yesterday was the Ottawa Senators paying to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev. I'm going to say the Senators make a move and add a defenseman in the next eight days before the deadline. Jason, you buying or selling? Oh yeah, the uh, the Senators. Did you know since December first of those seven teams battling for the wild card spots in the East, them and Buffalo are the only two teams with the six hundred points percentage. They're the two best teams since December first. That's three months. And when you consider the games in hand, I feel the Senators look and say, guys, we can make a push. I don't think they're going to give up massive amounts. They just got a uh, what did they get a second and a fifth or whatever it was. They could they turn gave up and, a second and a fifth. Oh sorry, they gave up a second, second and, and a fourth. But they could, um, they could, they could give up more. They've got a boatload of young prospects. They got too much youth. If I'm being honest, I think they need some more proven veteran players. So yeah, I think Ottawa will look to to make a move because moving forward, it's not like they need more room to bring in young players in their lineup. They got a lot of young guys all over. Look at their defense. Look at their forwards. They don't need more. Oh, geez, we got to bring in this 2023 pick in two years. No, I don't expect them to move their first guys, but I could see Ottawa. Uh, making an addition on the back end without question, because I think they feel that they can get a push. And now I'm curious how they play with Cam Talbot. I know he's on Frank's uh, trade targets board, but with him back, do they move him or do they say, hey, we need two goalies here to make a run down the stretch? There's still over 24 games left for them. Yeah, I think think the push to get him healthy was not just for their own playoff purposes, but also – you know, to move him if they see fit and they have um, the right team on the line to do it. Um, I will buy. So the thought process, as best as I can grasp it, is they are really hamstrung by this pending sale. They cannot, to my knowledge, alter their books in a really significant way. So we talked about Colton Pareko earlier this week and the Sens being a team that I believe has inquired about him, they cannot spend 50 million bucks to trade for Colton Pareko. Like they can't add that to their obligations right now. Uh, that sale I think is, is like around a month away from closing. They're getting to the spot where they can begin to accept bids uh, from the 15 interested parties that have gone through their books. And Getting rid of Zaitsev, almost $6 million in real cash, my question would be, why not wait until the summer? What was the need to hurry up and do it right now unless you're trying to add? So that would seem to be a strong indicator to me that that's what's coming on the other end of this is that addition. Interesting. Let's wrap this up with our Points Bet Canada bonus question. Maybe you want to hop over there, take a look at their Stanley Cup odds and Place a wager before some team loads up and their odds drastically change. That's where I'm going with today's question. The Colorado Avalanche are considered the favorites to come out of the Western Conference on points bet. Who do you think is number two? Who should be number two, Frank? 
My guess is number two is Edmonton. Okay. Jay, who do you think number two is on the odds board? Well, it should be someone out of the Pacific because there's no That's what I was going to say. I would say Dallas typically, but the way the bracket works, it should be someone from the Pacific. Yeah, it should be someone out of the Pacific. And uh, I was going to say Edmonton or Vegas. I'm I'm still not sold on L.A. or Seattle. So I'll go go Vegas if Frank's going Edmonton. It is Edmonton who comes in at 10 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup and a little bit less than that to come out of the West. And after that, Dallas is three, Vegas is four. And surprisingly, if you look at the straight up cup odds, the Minnesota Wild are fifth in the West, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, They're 25 to 1. It's worth noting there's a couple of other teams in there at 25 to 1 as well. But the Wild are in a group with the Jets at 25 to 1. So there you go. If you think there's some value, some real value on the Jets. Yeah, there might be 25 to 1 with Connor Hell. Like all you need is a Connor Hellebuck heater for a couple of weeks and they're halfway there you know anyways all you need is yeah colorado somehow gets taken down in the first round they're not completely healthy and all of a sudden the doors open it'll like be you i don't think there's anything separating colorado or sorry winnipeg and dallas do you jay well god they got both really good goaltender i like both of those teams um i i'm intrigued by winnipeg more a little bit uh, I'm not even sure why. Now, what Ottinger did in the playoffs still is in the back of my mind to say, man, if he comes close to that again, then you're not going to beat them because they got way more scoring depth this year than they had last season. I'm actually intrigued, Frank, to see what either team does. Winnipeg's got a fair amount of cap space when you consider what they have leading into the deadline. Like They could make a, a big move if they want to, and like, I wonder if they should. Like You look at that team well, you know, with uh, Shifley and Wheeler and Dubois and everything that's happening there, like, this might be it. Now, some would argue and say, well, because they know they're losing some of those guys, they can't give up capital. But you, you can be cautious all the time. I'm not saying just throw caution to the wind and give up everything. But I think Winnipeg, with their cap space, should, should be looking to make a move. I, I think they're in a very good position. They don't have to be money in, money out. They, they stand out to me as like a perfect Ivan Barbashev landing spot. Yeah. Not nice. a huge expenditure in assets. Makes your third line instantly better. You bump Sam Gagne down to the fourth, and all of a sudden you're in a spot where your team is stronger. Maybe you add another defenseman depth-wise, and you you go with what you got. You don't need to you don't need to go wild in order to make your team better. Yeah, the the other guy that I think fits really well for their team um, would be Tanner Janot. Yeah, that would make sense. Sasky boy, so he's from Western Canada. Send them to the prairies. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or Sell. Big shout out to our friends at Points Bet Canada. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You know, we haven't talked a lot about the Jets, despite them having a really good season. And, you know, Hellebuck's back. He's been great. Uh, you know, Josh Norrissey still continuing to roll. Uh, you know, I think, you know, him and Darlene and Carlson, not much is trained. I think those guys could all be finalists for the uh, for the Norris Trophy. And, you know, their forward group, Frank, it, they don't necessarily have like they've just got really good balance in Winnipeg. I like a lot, but I, you know, I talk about a Ford. I still wonder if they want to add on the blue line. Uh, yeah, I just it goes back to the same conversation we were just having about Edmonton. Who do they see as a difference maker? Like I could see someone like Jake McCabe fitting there really well, but but he won't go to Canada, right? Yeah, yeah right. I think he's reshuffled his trade list, but. I still think most of the Canadian teams are on it. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to look and Dallas quickly before we go about uh, the Dallas stars and I like their team a lot. Um, and actually two questions, Dallas stars and then John Klingberg, Frank, any, any, how much interest do you think he has right now at the deadline? Not a lot. Yeah. 22 points. Guess who has 21 Luke Shen. I mean, if you're counting on John Klingberg to pile up points for you on your team, like he just, he looks lost. Yeah. But the ducks don't like the ducks can't score to save their life. But his confidence is rattled. Like what they have enough talented offensive players to think that he could put up points on the power play and he's not. Yeah. What's the excuse? I I wonder he got off. You have cap gymnastics to get through with a $7 million cap hit. I don't see a big return coming at all for Anaheim. No, not at all. I I really wonder how much of his struggles are between the ears, Frank. So here's a guy who he went through the offseason last year, ended up having to sign a one-year deal on a bottom feeder team, and they struggle. He gets off to a slow start, loses all his confidence, and in the back of his mind, he's thinking, how much millions have I cost myself? Because what's he going to sign for this summer? I'll tell you what he's cost himself. The belief is, and I don't know that this is accurate, but the belief is that he turned down a $54 million deal at some point. For I don't who? know if this was last season with Dallas oh. or if this was this summer with someone else. I can't imagine it would be this summer, so it must be last. But that was the word on the street, $54 million bucks. Would you be screwed up between the years? I would be. I'm trying to do the math. So a seven-year, like that's like, geez, that's like 7.7. Uh, yeah, I would imagine it was 54 divided by eight, six, seven, yeah, five. which is just six, seven, five. So that would have had to be in Dallas. They're the only team that could offer him that. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that screw you up? It would me. I don't know how I'd like, I mean, you can't, that's the only thing is like the only way to ever get some of that back is to play really well. And if you're rattled, like, I don't know how you, and you went to a really bad team. Like yeah. maybe that was a short sighted, choice in what in retrospect was 
instead of putting 7 million bucks in your pocket, put four in your pocket and go to a really good team. You'll make it more in your next deal based on the way you play. But I think he was so confident that he really is that 8 million times eight player that he thought he could go do it anywhere. And that's just my read on the situation. Maybe it's not accurate. Fascinating. Well, it'll be fascinating to see if uh, anything occurs over the uh, the weekend. We'll be back on Monday uh, setting up the uh, final week of the trade deadline. Have a good weekend, everyone. Uh, enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.